Let's Get Two presents Go, Go Astros! Go, Go Astros! A focus on H-Town Hardball. And welcome to Go, Go Astros. We are all back. and We're back on video because I'm actually back home. I'm rocking the Houston Buffs shirt. Eh? How you guys doing? So let's see. So last week featured a, my kid was in camp and my wife and I got to like, like eat, uh, uh, eat meals that uh, aren't dictated by nine-year-olds and go on vacation. Um, it also involved watching the Red Sox give up 28 runs. So I enjoyed that more than my wife. Andy, how are you? I, I mean, it's hard to imagine that the week since we recorded last could have gone much better. Framber Valdez won, got the win in an all-star game. You sweep a doubleheader from the Yankees. You go into Seattle and take three from them and basically destroy all of the Mariners fans on Twitter. Um, there's several of them who evidently have moved up to the mountains and are saying things like, you know, I have my health and love of my family. And, and I, <laughs> And I recognize that as a fan of AM football over the years. Uh, there's a lot of rationalization happening right now. Yeah, it's actually, um, I even chose to not pile on. And, and you know, I'm, I'm actually not a fan of the Mariners. It's the one really bad fan experience I've had at a visiting ballpark. Um, but I even felt the need to not pile on. It just seemed like it was too easy. The funny part, Brian, is we were about four blocks away from Fenway and we were really were debating whether we should walk over and we really wished we had because that had been fun to watch. It was it was definitely something to watch. It's uh, it's a memorable game. And uh, fortunately, I got back to the uh, hotel after that and uh, got to enjoy the uh, Friday night victory Uh, was watching the MLB.com broadcast MLB uh, TV. Uh, network broadcast, which had the uh, Mariners broadcast. So I got to hear the uh, Mariners broadcaster yell, base hit. Oh, no. Where did Jeremy Pena come from? He was right in the middle of the shot the whole time to uh, catch that line drive and get us the win on Friday night. That was, yeah, that was a blast. Um, I was watching on the game thing because, again, like, you know, it started like at 10 o'clock and I kind of just dozed off and look up and dozed. That's why I missed the Maldi home run, Andy. Like, you were like, where are you? You're in New England. You, you people stealing my bits. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to keep, keep a tight leash on people. Yeah. Um, and clearly you needed the rest because you're you've been you've had quite a whirlwind summer. But um, it was a good weekend. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Um, so trade deadline stuff and let's let's get this out of the out of the way at the beginning do you see any world where the astros make a serious attempt and then get juan soto um andy will let go with you first um no and to start off this whole conversation um i saw james click give an interview to randy mcelvoy who's on one of the local news stations here um i guess he gave it during the yankees doubleheader but they played it again last night and basically, Jim Crane has given him the go-ahead to do what he needs to do to upgrade positions that need to be upgraded. Now, that's a real nebulous term. Um, so that could mean anything up, up to it, including a first baseman or a relief pitcher or getting a new base running coach. I mean, it, it's pretty out there. Um, the Astros do have $30 million or so to play with from a payroll perspective before they have to worry about luxury tax implications. So... By all by all stretches of the imagination, they should be buyers, um, provided the right players are out there. Uh, all that to say, Juan Soto is not the right player. And, and I mean that from a, an incredible player, maybe one of the top two talents in baseball right now. 
um, behind somebody who might be DHing for the Houston Astros. Um, but the cost, even for three playoff runs, is going to be incredibly high. And I just don't know the Astros have that, that level of bullet to put in that gun to make that deal without severely crippling the chances to make the playoffs. If not this year, certainly next year and the year after. So where I don't know that the uh, juice is worth the squeeze for a Soto deal for the Astros. There's some other teams that he makes a lot of sense for. Brian, you want to follow up? Yeah, the first the first player that the uh, Nationals are going to ask for is Jeremy Pena. You now, who's more valuable, Juan Soto or Jeremy Pena? It's it's Juan Soto. We don't know that, but that requires the Astros to either put Mauricio Dubon or Aledmus uh, Diaz as the everyday shortstop for a playoff run. So you know you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in some ways to do that. And then they're also going to ask for probably one of the young starting pitchers, Luis Garcia or Christian Javier, which again takes them out of the playoffs for sort of. So just from a strict add up the war perspective, uh, who's more valuable, Juan Soto or those two? You know, it's Juan Soto. But from a does this help your baseball team this October, which is the primary concern of the Astros right now? Probably not because you have to sort of, again, dig into the major league prospects. If you had a bunch of minor league, this is a thing we can talk about in some other trades. If you had some high level uh, minor league prospects, ones who are highly regarded across the industry, that may be something. And that's probably the set of teams who have that. That's what's going to be in a Juan Soto deal. The Astros don't have that. They'd have to take from the major league roster to do that. And again, as Andy says, the juice isn't worth the squeeze and it may not be what the nationals, you know, and they're thinking four or five years from now and four or five years from now, Christian Javier is a free agent. And they may not want Christian Javier for that reason where they prefer someone in double a right now. Well, and I think that's the other part of it for the nationals, the things the nationals are asking for. I just don't see how the Astros match up to that because they're asking for four top prospects, which if you look at the Astros prospect list, Hunter Brown probably qualifies. I'm struggling to come up with the other three that would be attractive to a franchise in the rebuild mode that the Nationals are trying to get out of. Um, And then you're also talking at least two major league ready, major league playing prospects. Uh, And then there were other considerations that the Nationals wanted that team, whatever team they trade Soto to, to give them. Um, So it's... It's a big, big ticket, and it should be. Juan Soto is a great player, um, but I just don't, I just don't see how the Astros match up to that. And honestly, you have to play him somewhere. Yeah, he would he upgrade left field for the Astros, absolutely. But to Brian's point, you're probably losing Jeremy Pena. You might, they might ask for Kyle Tucker. You're in the same spot. You're still going yeah. to fill. Uh, he just doesn't fill the right holes for us especially the outfield spot that needs filling is center field. Uh, Andy, well, I mean, look, maybe, I don't know. I mean, obviously I think, you know, I, I don't know. I think still we need to upgrade there. Andy, how much of it though, and we'll go with you first, how much of it becomes an arms race though? Like how much of it becomes getting players so that way other teams don't get players? Or is that, is that something that factors into the math at all? Do you think? I think with somebody like a Josh Bell, since we're talking about the nationals, that makes a little bit more sense because he is a two, two or three month rental, I guess, three months based on how the schedule falls this year. Um, 
that you're not going to have to give up literally the farm for. Um, and so to keep, let's say the Yankees want to upgrade from Rizzo at first base or Hicks, whoever else plays there, um, to keep the Yankees from getting Josh Bell. Yeah, I could see entering that kind of thing. And the Astros, arguably, we can have this conversation, could use an upgrade at first base. Um, so maybe that kind of deal makes sense. But I think the Astros continue with the mantra uh, that I think Crane has in started with Lunau and has informed James Click that this is what we're going to do, is it's the Cardinals model. We don't need every free agent that's out there. We need to be competitive and make the playoffs every year. And we need to be in the conversation every year. And that's what they've been able to do since 2015. Um, and I don't see that philosophy changing, especially if chasing one ring or chasing one or two players to keep the Mariners or the Yankees or the Dodgers from getting them um, would change the makeup or philosophy of how they're building that frame, building the on-field product. Um, Brian, did you want to weigh in on the whole arms race concept? Yeah, the ultimate problem with the arms race is on, you know, go-go uh, Yankees and go-go Red Sox and go-go Blue Jays and go-go Mariners right now. They're having the same conversation and saying, all right, if we don't get this player, we can move to this player. And if we don't get this player, we can move to this player. They're, all of those teams are going to trade for somebody at the deadline to upgrade. Um, so the issue is sort of the, hey, I have to keep this player off the other team is that you know, you can't control you can't control 30 other teams and their general managers and what they're going to do. You just have to work under the assumption that hey, all the teams you're going to play in the playoffs this year are going to make moves to upgrade and get better players. And that's one re reason you ought to do so as well. OK, so one of the surpluses the Astros have is starting pitching, and it looks like that's going to become even more of a of a surplus with Lance McCullers is I think making his next start with the Sugarland space Cowboys tomorrow, I think. Um, so breaking it down, clearly that's a place you can deal from for other people starting pitching. I don't think Oda Rizzi has any trade value. And honestly, I still think that he's going to be a real asset to have. So it looks like really you pick from Luis Garcia, um, you can pick from Christian Javier or you could pick Kirkiti as somebody that might be ex expendable. I actually think that I would trade uh, Luis Garcia of those three. Uh, Brian, what about you? Like, who do you think of those three? Do you feel like is the most sort of tradable player? Yeah, I think it's Garcia, but let me start with something sort of broader philosophical or just sort of maybe strategic about trading one of those players. You don't trade one of those players for a rental like Josh Bell. And most of the, you know, you go find articles that say, hey, here are the top X number of uh, trade candidates this year. They're based on reporters and analysts going through, hey, who are the players who are getting close to free agency who probably, you know, have more value getting a prospect and keeping them on, on these teams that aren't doing well. Trading one of the starting pitchers, the young starting pitchers, it's a very different type of trade. And Luis Garcia won't be a free agent until like 2025 or 2026, and it's a year earlier for uh, Javier. You're not trading for a rental. You're trading for a player with similar level of potential, you know, potential before their free agent years to address 
a specific need. So it's harder to figure out what they make that trade for because I can't go find an article that says this. It's someone who doesn't think about it. And it's probably someone on a good team that needs more help in the rotation and has excess uh, from the starting pitching staff. Maybe it's, I don't know, I'm just thinking like the Cardinals need pitching and help and they've got a lot of outfielders. So maybe it's a, you know, Luis Garcia for Harrison Bader, um, Gold Glove center fielder, that kind of deal, which I am just making up and not starting a rumor here. That's not on anyone's list here. And that's, you know, maybe the front office is thinking something like that for one of these players, but it's not going to be for a three-month rental. Andy? First of all, which pitcher do you feel like you would trade and then follow up on what Brian said? Well, we've had this conversation, and, and I start this sentence off with fully admitting I'm not James Click. I am not Italian talent evaluator either by trade or practice. Um, but Luis Garcia, to me, seems that he's probably at the top of his development cycle. And I know that's really a, a short-sighted thing to say, knowing his age knowing his level of control that a team's going to have over him for the next few years, but he throws too many pitches and I haven't seen a lot of progress on that. Fromber Valdez had a similar problem when he came up, but there was improvement year over year. I haven't seen that from Garcia and Garcia has been in the major leagues for three parts of three seasons. Now it, it hasn't gotten progressively better. Um, but I also think that somebody would be willing to take more of a flyer on him or perhaps have more, um, project more potential value on him because he is a little bit younger than the other two alternatives when we talk about Arquiti and Javier. Um, and maybe they see something better in his stuff and maybe they feel they can build a rotation around him or it makes, at least he's a solid number two. Um, so I think he also has the most value of the three that you you know mentioned as potential trade uh, candidates. Um, having said all that, I think the Astros have – not a problem, but just it's an interesting conversation. Uh, Verlander gave a very non-answer when he was asked about reaching his player op, um, a player opt-outs uh, level in his contract because he should do that two starts from now, um, pass up the 130 innings. And then he has a choice between taking $25 million from the Astros or testing free agency again. I tend to think Jim Crane isn't going to let him go without a huge fight. Right. But I – also, ultimately, that's up to Verlander about where he wants to play uh, because he's going to be able to say, I want to go play for the Dodgers. Or I want to go play for the Royals or whoever he wants to play for. He can go do that. Um, but they need to get some kind of understanding about whether or not he comes back because organizationally now you're if you're replacing Verlander. OK, well, maybe that's McCullers, but one of these other guys might fall off as well. We're going to lose Odorizzi or we have Odorizzi for another year, I think. Um is Hunter Brown ready to be one of those candidates? Uh, does, you know, Forrest Whitley actually exist? <laughs> Again, I don't think so because there was rumors that he made a start and then another one and nobody's heard about it since. Um, so organizationally, it's, you know, the win now versus the win next year and the win in two years about what you want to do with that. Um, so I think Furlander is a key to decide how much starting pitching you really do have to deal. And even though all of us can recognize we have – seven starting pitching candidates um verlander's the best of all of them head and shoulders above the rest and so what does that look like next year um it's if the Astros are making a deal that's where i expect it to come from if they're going to deal for somebody like cj crone 
um, or Josh Bell, and I kind of like Crone a little bit better, but there's there's problems with getting a first baseman. Um, I kind of see it being Luke Berryhill or Yonder Diaz and a, a pitcher from somewhere. Maybe not one of the guys we're talking about, but that three-month rental isn't worth a starting pitcher. Yeah, at least on the market the way it is now. Um, if there's a bunch of people bidding for it and it becomes a seller's market, who knows what the Astros did? Brian, what's the biggest need for upgrade? I mean, I think first base feels like it, although Yuli's hit much better in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, numbers are numbers, and this is a game of numbers. Um, do you feel like first base is the place where the upgrade needs to come, or do you think center field needs to be – really solidified i mean other than a back end of the bullpen type of guy which i think we all agree on is going to happen yeah i mean the issue is the issue with that is looking at what's in the market so do you want to operate in center field most of the list of hey who's available in center field are you know players who don't have to be traded who have several years away and a team needs to be blown away by an offer brian reynolds of the pirates maybe Cedric Mullins of the uh, Orioles, Ramon Laureano of the A's. I would love to have Deadpool on the team. That'd be great. Absolutely. And um, you know. and I lost Brian's train of thought. <laughs> so, Started thinking about Blake Lively. I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. As you all are listeners right now, we'll back <laughs> in here to uh, non-Blake Lively talk. Um, you know, so it's hard to sort of do that. And it's a similar thing in catcher where the market is Wilson Contreras and a bunch of, you know, good defenders who are I'm not sure are an upgrade on Martin Molnado. Um, so if they can't get one of those guys, and again, being limited in who's in their uh, minor league system is a factor there. First base is a place where, you know, Andy's mentioned Josh Bell and CJ Crone, uh, a couple of the names that could be on the market, Trey Mancini. I like Trey Mancini in particular, because he could play in the outfield as sort of, uh, to platoon with our left-handed uh, with our left-handed uh, outfielder types um, or Christian Walker of the Diamondbacks, potentially Jesus Aguilar of the Marlins. So there's a lot of inventory at first base. And when you have lots of inventory, the price comes down. Andy? Well, I, I think one of the things, because you brought up catcher, I'll just go ahead and say this, and I've said it a lot. The Astros aren't getting rid of Martin Maldonado. It doesn't matter what the fans think. It doesn't matter that he's hitting 167 or whatever he's hitting right now. Uh, the Astros value what he does as a player on the field far more than what his batting average reveals he can be. Any offense he provides, and I mean any offense he provides, is considered a bonus to the Astros from a philosophical standpoint. I think the places that you're looking at um, are for first base, and there are difficulties beyond the numbers with first base for the Astros because Yuli Gurriel is one of the not, – not out front, but he is one of the leaders of the team. He is one of the guys that everybody on the team looks up to, and if it is not handled correctly, chemistry is a big deal. I know it's not measured in numbers, but that's one of those kind of deals that if Josh Bell or C.J. Crone or somebody else is playing first base every day – and Yuli's on the bench upset about not playing every day, that would uh, torpedo a team quicker than not picking up somebody. Um, I'm not saying that's not a reason to do it. I'm just saying it has to be handled well. Sure. Other place you have to look is left field because I don't think any of the three of us have a whole lot of faith, despite what James Click keeps saying up and down, that Michael Brantley's coming back this year. Um, he's a person who had a history of shoulder problems. 
He has a shoulder problem now. There's nobody willing to talk about a timeline for a rehab, much less a comeback. And so if you get innings from him, um, if you get at-bats from him, I think that's a pleasant surprise. But I think the Astros have to kind of plan for the idea that he's not going to be here. He's a free agent at the end of the season anyway. Um, so that that's mental. He's another guy who's a big chemistry guy, though. Um, but I think he's professional enough that there wouldn't be a whole lot of pouting or woe is me. Not that Yuli would do that, but I think other players might perceive a slight uh, more for Yuli. Yeah, uh, and, and, and especially if field. you're if you're hurt, like if you're hurt, you yeah. can't make the club in the tub. Right, and, and then center field's you know an obvious spot because none of the three candidates that we've run out there, and I guess four if you count Mauricio Dubon, um, are what you would consider a World Series caliber center fielder. Uh, and even defensively, which is what Jake Myers is supposed to bring to the table, he's been iffy. Um, he does not have the range of motion that he had before the injury. He's let several balls roll under his glove, which is really, really weird for a center fielder to have happen. Uh, and it looks like because he's not getting down because he can't bend uh, kind of quite the way. So I think all that's to be said. There's a number of places the Astros could upgrade. I do not expect them to pull a first baseman and a corner outfielder and a center fielder and a really and a back end, um, a big time back end guy for the bullpen. But one or two of those is reasonable. Um, and the most likely is somebody to share innings with Presley at the back of the bullpen. Well, we are going to find all of that out. And so, a little programming note we will be back on trade deadline day next Tuesday. And then we'll be back the next day to kind of wrap things up and talk about who did or didn't join the team. Until then, go Strohs, everybody. Let's keep let's keep this winning streak going. We now face our greatest nemesis, the Oakland A's. Hey, it goes Strohs. It's part of the revenge tour. It took, it took two or three. Got to get them back. <laughs> All right, guys. I will. Go Go Astros is a presentation from Twitchy Dolphin Media and part of the Let's Get To Baseball Network.